If you have your Bibles with you now, I invite you to go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Uh, that is not a mistake. That is not a misprint in your bulletins. We are in Galatians 5 this morning. I know normally I'm preaching from Mark or something like that when I'm up here, but uh, uh, keeping in line with Pastor Chris preaching uh, through Ephesians in the last couple of months, and I did some study in Galatians 5 recently, so um, figure we keep that uh, theme going this morning. So Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 15 is where we're at this morning. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, uh, like many of Paul's writings, but especially in Galatians, Paul uh, is on the warpath here in Galatians. He is defending the gospel of grace. He has been doing that throughout uh, the book of Galatians as we're kind of dropping into the last half of it here. But he's been doing that throughout, and he'll continue to do that in the section that we're going to read here this morning. Uh, even back in chapter 4, uh, he uh, just got through telling the church there in the letter that uh, if we're a Christian... Uh, if we are in Christ, then we are children of the free woman, talking about Sarah. And in other words, what he's saying is if we are justified. If we are justified in Christ, we were made uh, right with God through faith in him and nothing else. And, uh, and so that means that we are, we are free. We are children of the free woman. And so as it brings us to that t- topic of freedom, uh, what does it mean to have freedom in Christ? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. What does it mean for us to be free? Does it mean we can live and just do whatever we want to? Or is it something else is it that Paul is getting at here uh, when he talks about freedom in Christ? So those are the questions that we are asking this morning as we come uh, to our text. And so I'll turn there now and, and pick up reading at verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if our brother still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray now. Father, we pray over these next few moments that you would teach us and open our hearts to your word, that you would uh, teach us what it looks like and what it means for us to have freedom in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. When I was about four or five years old, I was in kindergarten at the time, uh, and I'd just come home from school one day, and my mom was in the kitchen, and, and my sister was there with her also. My sister's a year younger uh, than me, and so she was probably about four years old, and I think I was about five in kindergarten at the time, if I'm remembering the story correctly. And so, like I said, she was there uh, in the kitchen. And my sister, I uh, were there with her. She was getting dinner prepared. She was cooking, uh, I believe it was spaghetti on the stove. And so she had a, a pot of uh, spaghetti sauce cooking on the stove and noodles as well. 
And uh, my sister and I were kind of sitting there at the countertop. Uh, there, it's a counter where you can pull a couple of bar stools up to it and sit there. And then the stove is just on the other side of this uh, counter. And so my sister and I were there kind of watching her prepare dinner. And my sister was playing around. And she kept acting like she was going to put her hand on one of the eyes on the stove, which was burning hot because she was, she was cooking spaghetti on it. And so my mom had just taken one of the pots off the eye. And she told her, don't touch that eye. It's hot. It's, in other words, it's going to burn your hand if you touch that. And so my sister had the freedom to touch anything else on the stove or anywhere else on the countertop to do anything else except that one one place that she could not touch because it would burn her hand. And so, of course, what does my sister do? No more than, you know, just a couple of moments later, she plops her hand down on that hot eye and, of course, immediately pulls it off and she's screaming and hollering. Her hand is burning. There's probably tears running down her face. She's crying and a lot of screaming and hollering going on. And so what happened was she abused uh, the freedom that she had. She had the freedom to, to touch anywhere else on that countertop or anywhere else around that stove. And she chose to touch the one place uh, that my mom had told her uh, not to ch- touch. And so maybe uh, some of us can identify with that. We, we like to, to misuse and abuse the freedom that we have. Uh, as, as human beings, uh, as maybe growing up as a young child, your parents allowed you uh, to ride your bicycle up and down the street where you live in the neighborhood where you live. And so they told you only ride your bike up and down the street. And so what do you do? You drive and um, you ride your bike, you know, two blocks over where your parents told you not to go and you abuse your freedom. Or maybe even a little bit older when you're a little bit older as a teenager and you uh, begin to drive and you get your driver's license for the first time and your parents allow you to uh, drive and, and run errands and go to the grocery store for them, uh, drive to school possibly, drive to a friend's house and whatever. Uh, and so, uh, but then you abuse that freedom that they've given you to drive and you you go and drive and take your car or, or their car somewhere that you're not supposed to and you get in trouble with your parents. Uh, we, we love our freedom, but we like to abuse the freedom that we have uh, as human beings. And even as Americans, we love the idea of freedom. We love the idea of uh, a freedom of speech, to say whatever we want to be able to say, freedom to do whatever we want to do, uh, to be with whoever we want to be with, be whoever we want to be. Uh, we want to live life as if we have no restrictions uh, placed on our lives. We want to be left alone. In fact, I think sometimes we want to be left alone from God himself because we think if, if, we, uh, if we try to follow God, if we try to follow his word, then in some way it's going to limit what we can do. It's going to limit... Uh, Uh, the fun that we we have. And so we think following God and his word means that we cannot have fun. And so we like to misuse uh, the freedom, like I said, that we have as human beings. We want to live life as if there's no limits on what we can do, that there's no restrictions on what we can do. And so Paul does say, he says in verse 1, he's very upfront uh, about uh, what he's getting at in this chapter. He says, Christ has set us free. And so we do have freedom in Christ. Uh, that's what Paul is telling us. He is very upfront about that in this uh, chapter of Galatians. So it brings us back to that question I mentioned a few moments ago is what does it mean for us to have freedom? What does it mean to be a, a people that are free? Does it mean we can do uh, whatever we want to do? Does it mean we can live like however we want to live with, with no restrictions placed on it? And so those are the, the questions that we're asking as we come to our text this morning. Uh, but Paul does. He's very clear about what he says. He says we are set free in Christ Jesus. He says in verse one he says for freedom christ has set us free he says stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery and so what paul is saying here he's saying stand firm in other words uh 
hold firm to the gospel, hold firm to the gospel that I preached to you uh, some time ago when he planted the church in Galatia. Hold fast to the blessings and the freedom that we have uh, through, through faith, through believing in Christ Jesus. That we have a right standing before God, not based on anything that we do ourselves, but based on what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. And we have access to this by faith. And so what Paul is doing here in this opening verse is he is uh, contrasting uh, a positive command, stand firm, with a negative one. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that yoke of slavery was the Old Testament law. Uh, that the, uh, These Judaizers, these were these false teachers that had come in uh, to the church there in Galatia and somehow had been influencing the people. And they were saying, hey, you've got to... Uh, not only believe in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised too to be a Christian. And remember, circumcision was that sign that was given to God's people uh, in the Old Testament to mark them out as his covenant people. And so these uh, false teachers had come in and they were telling uh, this young church that in order to become a Christian, not only do you have to believe in Christ, but you have to uh, be circumcised. It was, uh, In other words, they were, saying, they were saying Jesus plus the law uh, is what made you a Christian. And so Paul is hot. Paul is upset. Uh, with this teaching that's going on in the church that's beginning to influence this young church. He says, and he goes on to say in verse 2, he says, If you accept circumcision, then Jesus is going to be no advantage to you. He will, no, he will be of no advantage to you. Paul there is using the future tense, will be. Uh, and what he's alluding to there is on the day of judgment, when Christ returns and, and judges the entire world, uh, Jesus is not going to be any help to you because you are relying on your own goodness. You are relying on your own merit uh, as far as, as you're standing before God. And you're not resting fully in what Christ has done for us on the cross. And he goes on to say in verse 3, if you accept circumcision again, you are obligated to keep all the law. Now, where is Paul getting that from? That you're obligated to keep all the law uh, if you accept circumcision, if you're practicing circumcision. Uh, Going back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And what Paul is doing here, he didn't just pull this out of thin air. He just didn't make this up. Paul is quoting the Old Testament, which he was very well versed in as a, as a, um, as a Hebrew, as a former Pharisee. Paul knew the Old Testament. And so he's, he's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, where, where God's word says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And so Paul is basically saying, if the Judaizers are going to come in, these false teachers are going to come in and say, you have to, to keep the law of circumcision, then you must keep all the law. Because we are dividing all the law, is what, uh, is what Deuteronomy 27 was, was telling us. And so we know that no one, and we hear this idea of having to abide by and keep all the law, we know uh, that no one is able to keep all the law. We know that the only person that's ever lived on this earth that kept the law perfectly was Jesus Christ himself. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus is no benefit to them. If they're seeking to follow the law for their justification, for their, for their rightness, uh, right standing with God, uh, they're, they're going to fail at that because uh, the power of sin keeps them uh, from keeping the law perfectly. And so he goes on to say in verse 4 that, uh, that if, you're, if you are following the law, if you are practicing circumcision and requiring that to be a Christian, then, then you have been severed. You have been uh, cut off from Christ. You have fallen away uh, from grace. In other words, uh, we're alienated, as I said, separated. Christ and his benefits, our union with him that we have by faith in Christ is of no use to us. It's, it's no use to the Galatians if that's what they're, if they're practicing circumcision. They're seeking to find their justification through their works, through what they do. 
And so grace is no use to them. They've fallen away from it. They're seeking a righteousness that comes by their own work, by their own efforts, by their own merit. And they're not resting in Christ's finished work that he accomplished on the cross for them. And that Paul had preached to them. And so and just in these couple of opening verses here, we see uh, Paul is, is hitting hard on the law. That the law, we come away with this picture that the law is, is burdensome. It is heavy. It is something we cannot keep. We will never be made right with God if we're trying to find our justification, our, our right standing with God uh, through following his law. And so then Paul shifts his focus, though, uh, going into verse 5. He shifts it from these false teachers uh, to he puts his focus on the church and, and, and true Christians. We see him using that pronoun uh, we there in, in, chapter, in verse 5. He says, through the Spirit, by faith, we wait with anticipation the hope of righteousness. And that hope of righteousness that Paul is talking about is, is our future glorification, that day when Christ will come and, and free the world uh, from all sin and death, and, and all that will be done away with. And those who are, have trusted and put their faith in Christ will be, um, will be glorified and, and, and will not sin anymore and, and live uh, and spend eternity with Christ in heaven and, and on a renewed uh, new heavens and new earth. This is the promise that we have. This is the hope of righteousness that Paul is talking about to those who believe and trust in Christ. We don't work for this. We wait for it by faith. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on to say that being circumcised does not matter in verse 6. But he says neither does uncircumcision. Uh, neither of these things matter, but what matters is, is what are we putting our trust in? That's the question uh, that we've got to ask ourselves uh, here today. That was a question that the Galatian church, church had to ask themselves as Paul is writing to them as they're hearing uh, this letter read uh, in the midst of their congregation. Where are we putting our trust, our faith? Is it in our own goodness, in our own merit, in the good things that we do? Or are we completely resting in Christ's finished work on our behalf and are we resting in that by faith, faith alone? That's what the question Paul is asking here. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves here this day. What are we resting in? Because what, what's at stake uh, by asking these questions is, what is it that we're, we're justified by? Is it by our own efforts or is it by rest, resting completely in Christ, knowing that as we trust in Jesus, that his perfect life, his perfect record of obedience is credited to us as righteousness? That's the gospel that Paul is preaching, and that's what he's fighting for here. He's fighting for the heart of the gospel. And he continues to hammer home this message of the gospel to the Galatians that, that they, where, where their justification comes is through faith in Christ. And as I said, this is a question we must all answer. Are we, are we trying to be uh, justified by our own efforts, by our own works? Are we resting fully in what Christ has done on our behalf? In fact, uh, what Paul is saying basically is if, if this... If these false teachers are insisting on being circumcised to be a Christian, what they're saying basically is that Jesus is not enough for them. That Jesus is not good enough to save them. And so we hear that and we, and we, um, uh, we can sometimes laugh at that and say, don't they get it? But I think oftentimes uh, that's how we live our lives. We often live our lives as if there's something I must do. Uh, not only must I trust in Jesus, but there's something else I must do to keep in God's good standing. In other words, we, we get in by justification, but we think it's what we do keeps us in. And Paul is very clear elsewhere in, in his letters that we are justified, we are made righteous by faith in Christ. And so, but as, as I said, as Christians, we often live like this. We live as if there's something I must do to remain in good standing with God. If I don't do this, then, then well, then God's not going to love me. 
Uh, I call this religious do-ism. And it could be something as simple, and these things, and things I'm going to mention here in just a few moments are all good things. Uh, I want you to hear that I am for these things I'm about to mention, but we, um, we cannot look to them for our justification uh, before God. But, but some of those things that we do look to uh, in, in practice that we think keeps us in good standing with, with God is, is things like church attendance and coming to Sunday school on Sunday or going to a Bible study or coming to youth group on Wednesday nights. Uh, those are all good things, and I completely affirm them and think we should be involved in them. Uh, God calls us to worship Him. We were created to worship Him. But oftentimes we look to these things as these are the things that, that make me a better Christian, and, and I'm better than those folks over there that don't do these things as well. And, uh, and we do that with our theology as well. Um, we, uh, we, we put our focus in, in what I know and in what I've read uh, how well I know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, or I've read this theological book, and so I, I, I'm in a better place with God than that person over there is. And, and I'm more spiritual, I'm more confessional, because I've, I've read, you know, fill in the blank with whatever book it is that you like to read. And oftentimes we look down and criticize uh, those who don't hold our same theological positions. And, and this, this happens a lot of times in churches. It could be over issues like baptism or what it looks like to keep the Sabbath or should we sing hymns only or psalms only or should we sing both or whatever it might be. There's a long list of things uh, that we tend to fight and kind of bicker over uh, in the church. And we look down on, on others who don't hold the same uh, position that we do. And, but oftentimes we think, hey, because I believe this way, I'm a better Christian than that person over there. Uh, and so we, we, we find these things that are all good things, uh, but we tend to make them into an ultimate thing. Uh, it could be, uh, oftentimes we think being born in, into a Christian family uh, means I'm a Christian. Or uh, going to a Christian school means I'm a Christian. And those are both good things. God works through families and calls people to himself uh, through families. Christian schools are great, and I affirm them. Uh, but just because we go to one doesn't mean that, that we're a better Christian than someone else. Or just because I was born into a Christian family, I'm not, you know, I'm not more spiritual than someone else. Uh, we're reading our Bibles regularly, praying. Again, these are all good things. And, and I encourage and affirm all these things. But a lot of times we can look to these things in our lives and, hey, I'm doing that better than so-and-so over here. And so I must be a better Christian. And, and God loves me uh, better than he does others. And like I said, none of these are bad things. But the problem with them all is is they can't save us. They can't do anything for us. Uh, if we're seeking our justification by anything uh, other than Christ and faith in Him, then we are not truly free. We are really uh, enslaved to that thing uh, that we're trying to gain God's acceptance with. Uh, we're, and we're really not free until we rest in what Christ has done for us on the cross, at the cross. And so if you're trusting in anything other than Christ's finished work here this morning, Jesus is no, of no advantage to you. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, you're, instead, your security is found in the law, but it's a burden uh, that we cannot keep. And Paul makes that clear in these opening verses, that it's a burden uh, we cannot keep. And he counters that and says that Christ has freed us. He's given us freedom from the burden of the law. We're not justified by it. We're justified by faith in Christ and Him only. And as we trust in Jesus... Jesus is what gives us true freedom. But as I said, we often struggle to live as free people. The church in Galatia was struggling to live as free people. We, here today, struggle uh, to live as free people. It reminds me of Brooks Hatland, the librarian from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. Brooks was the librarian uh, in the prison. He had been in prison for some 50 years, from, uh, from the early 1900s to around 1950, as the story goes. He was in, in prison. And so after, after 50 years or so, he was finally granted uh, release, and he was paroled. 
And so he goes out. If you know the story, familiar with the movie, he goes out and he gets a job at a local grocery store. He's bagging groceries. And he's struggling, though, to live as a free man. He's struggling to live uh, outside of, of Shawshank, outside of the prison. And, and when he went into prison... Uh, cars were just beginning to be developed, and then by the time he, he was out on parole, cars were you know, pretty much everywhere, and, and the world's gotten a lot busier. In fact, he says everybody went out and got in a big hurry. And so he struggled living uh, in this new world uh, that he was thrust back into, and he struggled to live uh, as a free man. And he, want, he would continually try to find ways. He said he was always trying to find ways uh, that he could get back into prison and break his parole so he'd have to go back to really the only life he had known that he was enslaved to for so long. Uh, Red, Morgan Freeman's character, called this being institutionalized, is what was going on with Brooks. He didn't know how to live as a free man, and so he sought ways to return to his old way of life. And that's what the Galatian church is doing, and that's what we often do sometimes. We revert back to uh, our old way of life, and and after being set free in Christ, uh, we want to return to to our old ways, and we think that um, that, it, that that can happen uh, through following the law, that we can be made uh, right with God, in good standing with God through following uh, His Word. That's the way we earn God's forgiveness, is, is following His Word perfectly. But we are forgetting that we are set free from the demands and the burdens of the law, and that's what Paul is hitting home and making uh, his point to the Galatians, that we, are, we have freedom from the burden of the law. The law... No longer, we, we are no longer under the law's penalty. Uh, we are set free in Christ from freedom, from the burden of the law. And so if the church has been set free, then, then what has uh, caused them to revert back to um, their old way of thinking? Uh, why has their thinking changed? And Paul questions that in verse 7. He says, who has hindered you uh, from obeying the truth, from following the truth? He knows that someone's come in. He knows that someone uh, has, has perverted the gospel that he taught to them some time ago. Uh, he's saying, who told you that you had to follow the law to be made right with God? He's saying, this teaching is not from God, the one who called you to faith in Christ. And what he's saying here is that faith in Christ and in Christ's obedience is enough. And there's no need for the Galatians to seek acceptance uh, before God through anything else. And so he knows that some sort of false teaching has come in and infiltrated the church. Because he says in verse 9, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so as I was studying this week, I learned a little bit about baking. Uh, I, I'm not a cook uh, or a baker of any sorts. Uh, my wife is the is the better cook in the house, and I would affirm that completely. Um, but I did learn this week that yeast uh, makes bread rise, and so as as uh, as bread is baked, uh, yeast spreads throughout it and causes it to rise throughout the dough. And uh, and so that's what Paul is getting at. He's using this. Um, language here about the leaven and uh, he's saying that it's the same thing with legalism Uh, that when legalism or any kind of false teaching comes in and infects the church it can spread quickly just like that leaven spreads quickly throughout that um, bread dough and so he's saying he's warning the church to be on guard against these things and we too have to be on guard against uh, that in our our churches and in our lives these days Uh, and we have to remind ourselves that faith in Jesus is enough that he has paid uh, the penalty for our sins. And so Paul goes on to say, though, that he is, even though this false teaching has come into the church, he's confident. Verse 10, he's confident uh, that, this, uh, that the gospel will prevail, that the one who is troubling them uh, will suffer the penalty for their actions. And so that, 
That word that's translated penalty from the original language carries with it this idea of uh, divine judgment. And so what Paul is getting at here is that this person or persons uh, that are uh, leading the church astray, that they're going to have to answer answer to God one day uh, for leading his people astray uh, when he comes and returns and and, uh, and judges uh, the earth. They're going to be judged for promoting a false gospel and leading his people away from the truth. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 11, he says, if, if I'm basically saying, why am I still be, being persecuted if I'm, if I'm preaching circumcision? So basically, someone uh, had promoted the idea that Paul was for circumcision, that Paul was pro-circumcision. And what Paul is saying is, why am I still being persecuted uh, if I'm preaching circumcision? Because circumcision was popular because uh, it, was, it played on people's pride. It was about what I do, what I can do. Hey, I'm doing this. And, it, and it's not about what God's doing, about what Jesus is doing. And so the gospel was really offensive to people because uh, it played on, on people's pride. People uh, uh, took pride in, in what they were doing to, to earn their, uh, their standing before God. And, and the gospel is saying, no, it's not about what we do, but it's about what Christ has done. And so our culture doesn't like to hear this message. The culture in Paul's day didn't like to hear this message of, of justification by faith. And, and our culture today doesn't like that many times because it takes out of the equation uh, our efforts. Uh, uh, we, we are prideful people and, and we take pride, as I said, in, in what we do. And, and our culture is very individualistic. And so uh, the gospel is offensive to a lot of people because it's about what Christ has done, not about what the individual has done. And then Paul goes on, though, to say, too, in, in verse 12, he says, I wish those, wish those who are harming you, who are causing trouble, who are stirring up trouble in the church, would emasculate themselves. Now, Paul here is using uh, strong language, which was not uncommon in his day, uh, to make his point. Uh, for, for one to be emasculated meant that they're, um, to put it no other way, their male private parts are cut off. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's using figurative, bold language to make a point. And he's saying he prefers these false teachers for coming in and leading God's people astray. He prefers uh, that they are just cut off and separated from the church uh, for for leading uh, his people astray and and the threat they pose to the gospel. That's what Paul means by that, for for them for coming in and restricting uh, the freedom they have in Christ. Paul prefers they be cut off and separated from the church. And so what we see, though, is that um, what has happened is that there are some who want to restrict uh, the Galatians' freedom, the freedom they have in Christ, that their sins are paid for completely uh, through faith in Christ. And they do nothing on, there's no effort on their part that earns them uh, that right standing with God. It only comes through faith in Christ. But there's some who want to restrict that freedom. And so that's what Paul is preaching against here. Now, in the South where I grew up, uh, NASCAR, stock car racing is a big deal. Uh, NASCAR cars uh, going really fast, going around a circular racetrack for uh, many laps and many hours, and there, there's a winner at the end. Uh, but anyway, uh, about, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, uh, they begin to put what they call restrictor plates on cars in certain, at certain racetracks because there were so many accidents happening and things like that. It was done to, as a safety precaution. And so um, a restrictor plate, basically what it does is it limits the intake of an engine. And the result is that the engine doesn't run uh, as strong or as powerful uh, as, it, as it could. And so it limits the power of the car. Uh, it restricts how fast the car could run. It restricts the car's freedom. And that's what these false teachers are doing in Galatia. They are restricting the freedom that the, these believers have in Jesus. 
that they are no longer under the penalty of the law, that there is nothing they have to do to earn God's forgiveness, but that has been done by Christ on their behalf, and all they have to do is believe in faith. But there's still, even though that has been preached to the church, there are people coming in and trying to restrict that freedom uh, that the church has there. And they're limiting the freedom that Christ has won for them and that they access and, and lay hold of by faith. And so we too, though, must be on guard against this in our churches today and in, in our uh, places where we live and where we have influence today. We must be on guard against those who would say, you know, you've got to keep the law to be in good standing with God. Or you have to keep the law to, 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 have, to be in right standing with God. This is a wrong teaching and, and the gospel of grace is completely opposed to this. Paul is opposed to it and that's what he is, he is preaching so forcefully against here uh, in this letter to the Galatians. But even, even here today, you, we may have friends that believe this and they say, hey, you know, God doesn't love you because you, just, you didn't do this as well. You didn't follow this part of his word as well. Or maybe you think this uh, yourself, that I have to keep all the law for God uh, to love me and accept me. And we can't let this type of thinking infiltrate our churches because too much is at stake. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that many, many years ago when he wrote this letter that too much was at stake by letting uh, this false teaching slide. And so he's confronting it force uh, head on. And we have to do the same uh, because the gospel of grace must be preached. The gospel of grace must be taught and defended uh, in our churches and in the places where uh, we live. Because if it's not, if the gospel of grace is not taught, if it's not defended, uh, then all of our churches are just going to end up being a bunch of religious folks resting in their own goodness and trying to work their way into heaven. But Paul reminds us if we are trusting in Jesus that our sins are paid for and we are set free from the penalty, from the guilt of the law. So Paul spent all this time preaching against the law uh, in, in a negative way, saying, you know, uh, the law cannot save you. Um, those that are preaching this false gospel, he wishes they were cut off from the church. So it leaves us a lot of times uh, with the impression that the, the law does not matter to our lives as Christians. And so it's easy for us to read this passage and say, hey, you know, the law doesn't matter. I'm free in Christ. Paul says uh, we have freedom in Christ. We've been set free uh, from the law. You know, what's the point of following God's word? I can, I can live however I want to. I can do whatever I want to do. And so Paul, uh, anticipating this, quickly corrects that wrong thinking on the church's part, but also on our part here today. Is, he speaking, is God speaking to us through his letter? Uh, Paul says in verse 13, he says, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that word that's translated as opportunity is a, uh, carries with it this... Uh, Meaning of a, It's a military term, meaning a base of operations, or a, in other words, a starting point. And so what Paul means by opportunity, don't let uh, your sinful desires, the flesh, be a starting point uh, for, uh, for you to abuse your freedom, the freedom that, that you have through Jesus. And so he says, if we, basically he's saying if we abuse our freedom uh, by sinning, uh, we're not really free at all, but we're a slave uh, to our sinful desires. And Jesus even addressed that back in John uh, chapter 8 that we heard read earlier this morning. Jesus said in John 8, he says, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And so there's this idea of, um, you know, what, what are we to do then? Um, if, we are, um, if we are freed, if we're free in Christ, where does God's uh, word play into our life? How does the law uh, play into our lives today as Christians, if we're Christians. And so Paul addresses that uh, in verse 14. He says the law is fulfilled. It's completed, in other words, by loving your neighbor as yourself. And, he's, and, and Paul is picking up on the second greatest commandment, uh, to love 
uh, the, uh, after loving the Lord God, the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so what Paul is saying here is, is we follow God's word, but it's a response. It's a response to the grace given to us as we are empowered uh, by the Holy Spirit. Because if we are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living with, within us. I know that's hard for some of us to think sometimes we have the Holy Spirit living within us. But that's what uh, that's what Scripture says. And Paul even mentions the Holy Spirit back in in verse five. And so we have the, the spirit living in us and the spirit allows us and enables us to respond to God's grace. Uh, this is the, the we, use, we call it sometimes sanctification, becoming more and more conformed uh, into into Christ's image through the work of the spirit. And so that means as we seek to, to follow God's word, as we're empowered by the spirit, we're motivated uh, by the grace shown to us through Jesus. We're enabled uh, to follow God's word, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, not stealing from our neighbors, not murdering our neighbors, whether that's physical murder or um, uh, through our thoughts and our words and, and, and things like that. Uh, we don't covet. We don't steal. We don't uh, lie about our neighbors. And when I say our neighbors, I'm talking about not just our physical neighbors that live next to us or behind us or across the street. But I'm talking about um, anybody we come into contact with that's in need is our neighbor. Uh, the places we work, the places we go to school, the places where we spend our time, the, all these places are places where those folks in those places are our neighbors. And so we're called to love them, is, is what Paul is saying, is a response to the, to the grace and, and the gospel uh, that we've received through Christ. But there's also a deeper meaning to that word uh, fulfill that you see in verse 14. Because uh, the word, that verb, this, this translated as fulfill, is a perfect passive verb. And what that means is, it, it's in the perfect tense meaning that that's a completed action uh, that happened in the past, but it still stands today. And so in other words, someone, because it's passive, I mean someone outside of ourselves has fulfilled the law of force, the law of love. And it's not Paul. Uh, Paul, Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but Paul knew he was a sinner. And it's not the Galatians that, that fulfill this law ultimately, but it's what it's alluding to here uh, and the deeper meaning of this word fulfill uh, based on the, the tense of the verb is that it's uh, alluding to Jesus. Jesus is the agent uh, of that fulfilling. Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the law of love. But Jesus is also the one who fulfilled the law uh, by living a perfect and sinless life. But then he also fulfilled that law of love as he suffered at the cross. And so the the cross is a true picture of of sacrificial neighbor love. And so as we understand what Christ has done on our behalf, we're motivated uh, to go out and, and sacrificially love and serve those around us. By not murdering, by not committing adultery, by not stealing, uh, by not wanting what others have, by not slandering people and so forth. Uh, As we serve each other sacrificially, we're living, in fact, in the way God created us to live. We were not made originally to live uh, and hurt one another. We were not meant to take from one another, to be hateful and critical uh, towards one another. But we were to to sacrificially love those around us as Christ has done that uh, at the cross. And we're not to bite and devour one another, as Paul says, as he in verse 15, he says, we're not to bite. We're not to bite and devour one another. In other words, we're not to harm each other, to um, to get into petty uh, conflicts and backbiting and and hurtful words, because really what this does to uh, to our our community, our Christian community, is it hurts our witness uh, to the world around us when we have petty uh, infighting and conflicts with each other. And so Paul is saying none of that should be be happening uh, in 
in our in our midst as, as churches as Christians as we uh, are uh, as we respond to the gospel and love those around us. And so we see uh, here Paul as he ends ends these verses this section of of his letter he's saying that the the law still has a place in our lives. The thing is the law just doesn't justify us. The law doesn't make us right with God. Only faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done on our behalf makes us right or justified with God. But we instead we follow God's law out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. That he suffered the death we deserve for our sins and that those of us who believe and trust in Jesus by faith, we have forgiveness, we have life in his name. And so we seek to follow the law not to earn our salvation, but it's a response to what Christ has done on our behalf. And we follow that law and we're able, we're only enabled and able to follow that law as as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Uh, enabling us to, to follow God's word. And so we have freedom. Uh, we're not free from anything, but we have the freedom to serve others. And so God's law still has a place in our lives. And like I said, if we're a Christian here this morning, uh, you have the Holy Spirit living uh, within you. Uh, verse 5, again, talks about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is what enables us to follow God's word. As Paul goes into the, the last half of, of this chapter, of, of chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit is one, one of those ways that we love those around us. Uh, and, but the Spirit is the one who's enabling us to do that. The Spirit is the one that enables us to be kind and gentle uh, to one another, to have self-control, to not be given in to anger and hate and other things and other sins, to be peaceable with each other. Our, our lives are to be led by the Spirit. We are, we are a people of the Spirit and not of the flesh. And so the Spirit enables us uh, to love those around us, to show that neighbor love to those around us. And this is all possible because of what Christ has done for us. And what is it that Christ has done for us? And what, what Christ has done for us, I'm reminded of that by an old episode of the Andy Griffith Show I watched uh, some years ago. I watched this show growing up. I watched the reruns growing up uh, as, a, as, a, um, as a teenager, as a middle school child. And uh, the episode I'm thinking about is, is Opie the Birdman. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, Opie, uh, the context of, of the show is um, Opie is the son of Andy Taylor, sheriff in a small town in North Carolina. And so Opie, uh, Andy's son, has gotten a new slingshot as a gift. And he's out in the front yard playing with it one day, shooting, shooting um, things uh, with rocks. And, and so he shoots it up in a tree and he actually hits a bird. And he kills the bird. The bird falls down. It's in the front yard. Opie's uh, feels bad. He's ashamed. He runs inside, hides. And so Andy, uh, his dad, comes home later that day and sees, finds the bird in the yard, and he, he wonders what's happened. And so he asks Opie about it later on. And Opie initially, uh, you know, eventually he, he reluctantly confessed to, uh, to killing the bird. He feels bad about it. And so he ends up raising these three little baby birds that this bird left in the, in the tree outside. And so, um, and Opie grows uh, pretty attached to them as the episode goes on. And, uh, but it gets to a day where these birds, are there, they're living in his room basically inside. They're in a cage, in a bird cage. And, and Andy realizes that these birds can't live like that forever. They, they need to be set free and, and released. They, they were made to live outside. They were made to live uh, in, in nature. And so Andy has a talk with Opie uh, about uh, it's, you know, it's time to let them go. Uh, they need to live in the way that they were meant to live, the way God created them to live. 
And so Opie eventually re- reluctantly sets them free and he, and, he, and he lets them back outside into nature. And, uh, and so later on, that, as, as the episode's closing, later that day, Opie, uh, he's missing the birds and he tells Andy, he says, you know, it sure is quiet around here without them. And Andy says, yes, son, it sure is. But don't the trees seem nice and full? And so what those birds were doing is they were fulfilling their purpose. They were back in nature, living in nature, uh, living as they were called to live. They were no longer constrained, uh, enslaved to that cage that they were in, in Opie's room. And so the gospel of grace is the same with us. Christ has set us free uh, in the gospel. He has set us free to live in a way we were created to live before sin entered the world. It does. We were not set free to live... Any, any way we want to, but we are set free from the penalty and the guilt of the law. In other words, God's work, God's law, no longer, uh, we, we are no longer under the penalty of, of God's law anymore because we've been set free through faith in Christ. Set free to live in the way God's created us to live as we seek to love and serve those around us, our neighbors, and in, in the places where we spend uh, our time. We are, we are called to love and enable to love Um, the people in the places where God's placed us in his world. And this is made possible because Christ has set us free. He has set us free from the guilt and the penalty of the law. And this this is the gospel. This is the gift of God that we have by faith. By faith, we are set free uh, through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us now. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for... Uh, teaching us from it, we thank you for what it says, and so we do ask and uh, that you would remind us of the freedom that we have uh, through Christ, and and that you'll remind us that that freedom uh, is uh, came with a cost, and it came uh, at the expense of of your son's life, and so that you would remind us of this this day, that you would enable us uh, through your Spirit to uh, to love uh, those around us. Uh, as a response to the grace given to us uh, through Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. We were reminded this morning from Galatians 5 that as, a, as, as people, as human beings, uh, we forget. We, uh, we forget that we are people set free. We are set free from the burden, from the penalty of God's law. And oftentimes we, uh, we, we live as if we're still constrained and, 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 uh, and uh, to the law. And that we must follow the law completely uh, for, for Christ to forgive us. But this table that we come to this morning, uh, the Lord's Supper, is a visible reminder of what it is that Christ has done for us. That, in, that those of us who are in Christ, if our faith is in Him, we are a people who are set free. We are set free from the penalty, from the burden of the law. It no longer condemns us, and we're instead, as a, and we're free to serve and love those uh, around us. And so, the law still has a place in our lives. We're, we are free uh, to love and serve uh, those around us, as we are, um, as we are, uh, out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for what Christ has done on our behalf. And so, if you're here this morning and you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, if your faith and your trust is in Him, then you could come to the table freely, knowing uh, that you have been set free from the penalty of the law. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, uh, if you're still trying to save yourself and you have not put your faith and your trust in Jesus, or you don't know who Jesus is, uh, we ask you to let the elements pass you by and instead use this time uh, to pray and and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, uh, that you might know his gospel, his gospel of grace uh, that, that he offers to us through Christ.
But if we're in Christ, we can come this morning to the table freely and eat in faith, knowing that Jesus, uh, through his death and his resurrection, and our believing in that and laying hold of that by faith, that we are set free uh, from the penalty and the burden of the law. And instead, we are motivated to go out and serve those uh, in love uh, because of what Christ has done for us. And so let me pray for us now. Father, we thank you uh, that you have set us free in Christ. That those who trust and believe in Jesus, that the law no longer condemns them. And so, Lord, we ask now as we take and eat of this meal that you would encourage us, that you would encourage us in our faith. uh, That we might be enabled even to go out this day, this week, and love others in light of the grace and the mercy that's been shown to us through Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.